Good evening. Um, it's a pleasure to be able to worship with you guys this after, this evening and to participate in this retreat together. Um, I'm going to introduce the speaker for this retreat. Um, his name is Louis Guest. He is a close friend of mine. Um, we met, I think, eight or nine years ago. He is a gift God gave to me while I was in seminary because he looks like me and um, not a lot of people looked like me at that school. Um, so it was gr really good to have him there. Um, he's a little bit older than me. He's nine years older than I am. But we got married, I think, a week apart. And it was really interesting getting to know Lewis. Like we've known each other, like I said, almost nine years. And we've talked about being single. We've talked about being married. Um, we've we talked about having kids. He has two beautiful daughters, Eden and then Olivia, and his wife, Elizabeth. And it's just been a really blessing, a real blessing to have him in my life. And I'm really excited that he's here to speak tonight. Um, I appreciate Lewis because he is honest, very transparent, willing to talk about a host of different issues. He's pretty smart. He's working on a PhD. And I'm just very grateful that he was willing to share God's word with us tonight. So let me pray for him, and then we'll, we'll dig into what he has for us. Father, you know the needs of our hearts, my heart. You know how challenging and difficult life has been because of a host of issues. And we ask humbly that you proclaim truth and speak life to dry bones. May ruins come to life. May hearts be restored, strengthened, empowered. May joy be complete as we consider how blessed we are to know you. And even those who don't, God, I pray that you would open their eyes, restore sight like only you can, and teach us, teach us truth that will shape our hearts and make us more like Jesus. Um, you created us in your image and I pray that you would be glorified as you renew and restore that image to what it should look like. So bless Lewis. Thank you for him as a gift to us, gift to me, and I pray that you would speak your word and give hearts to receive it. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Let's welcome Lewis to the stage. Well, good evening, everybody. I feel like I owe Thomas some money with that introduction. That was quite kind of him with those kind words and value his friendship deeply too. I, I think even though we've known each other for eight or nine years, I think we just figured out tonight that we have a nine year difference between <laughs> one another. So 
I, <laughs> I said, man, Thomas, I know I was that much older than you, but I'm grateful for this brother and enjoyed our friendship over the years. Pastor Jung, thank you so much for the invitation. Kind of an honor to be with you all here for the retreat and uh, even under these weird circumstances, right? So thank God for you all who are here in the, in the sanctuary, but also those who are online. And once again, it's a joy to be here. So thank you once again for the invite. Really, really appreciate it. Well, let me open up a pass, passage of scripture for you. I want to read to you from the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And then if you wouldn't mind, I would like to pray one more time before we jump into God's word and ask him to meet us. Uh, Thomas said that I'm the speaker and I'm going to turn around and say the one who we want to hear from tonight is not me by any stretch of the imagination, but from God. Amen. Want to hear from his word, what he has to say to us. And we know that the spirit of God can take his word and speak something specifically to every heart that is listening. So let's look at his word. I want to read it and pray and then we'll jump in. Second Corinthians chapter four. Let me start off reading to verse number one. I'm going to read down to verse number 15. It says, Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us up with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. And then just the first part of verse 16, so we do not lose heart. Let me pray one more time. Father, we do not live by bread alone, but we live by every word that proceeds out of your mouth. Oh, Father, how our hearts need a fresh word from you, from your text, from the scripture. 
Oh, Father, how the eyes of our heart need to be opened up that we may behold beauty out of your scriptures, Father. Oh, Father, do we how we need taste buds this evening to taste and see that you are good through the words that you speak to us from the scriptures. So I pray for every single person that's listening. I pray that you would give us the most uh, precious, powerful, needed Holy Spirit to aid in our hearing. Speak to us that, Father, which would be well-pleasing in your sight. And work in us, Father, through the preaching of your word, that which you want to do. So I pray that you would lead in God our time today and grant us much grace to boast in your son. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Well, uh, Thomas talked about uh, my wife, Elizabeth, and I. Uh, this fall, we are going to be celebrating five years of marriage, celebrating five years together. Uh, October, like I said, a week apart from Thomas. That means you all are about to celebrate five years in here at this point, right? Yep. Five years of marriage. Uh, in our On our first anniversary, our daughter, Olivia, was born right on our anniversary day. So you know uh, how we share that day with her. Uh, her birthday cake basically overshadows and swallows up our anniversary cake, as it were. But early in our marriage, early in the five years, probably for the first two or three years or so, Elizabeth and I practiced a ritual which I highly recommend for you married couples and highly recommend for you all who are in serious relationships that might be moving towards marriage. Uh, just like we know the term define the relationship, we had a term called the state of the union. And what we wanted to do with that state of the union was at various points in marriage, particularly early in marriage, we wanted to sit down and we wanted to talk about how things were going. We wanted to discuss a little bit about the things we were enjoying about marriage. We wanted to talk a little bit about things that we were not enjoying about marriage. We wanted to talk about some things that have been working well early in marriage. And then, of course, we had to address some issues that weren't working well, some challenges that we were facing. Right? So during this state of the union, we didn't just diagnose the issues that we needed to talk about but we also had to come up with some solutions, right? We didn't just diagnose the issues we need to deal with. We didn't just sit there and talk about it. We had to think a little bit about, okay, what are we now going to do in light of this challenge that we are facing during our state of the union address, state of marriage address, right? How I many I know if you diagnosis without proper treatment is about as effective as going to the doctor just for him or her to tell you what's going on with you, kind of pat you on the back, send you on out, say, hey, have a good day, and of course, here's the bill for coming to see me. Uh, diagnosis requires us to turn around and to figure out a treatment and to figure out how we are going to address this challenge. But the additional challenge comes in, it rises up, when in one of these state of the unions, in one of these conversations, we come across a challenge that we don't have a solution to because we don't even know what to do in that scenario, right? Have you ever been in that case before where you're staring at something and you don't even know what to do at this point? You feel, and here's a key word that I want you to key in on tonight, and you heard it in our text, you feel perplexed, right? As Pastor Jung and I talked this last week. We both communicated a felt complexity. 
as we discuss for a few minutes about the state of our union here in America, here in these particular days, I think that we touched upon something that our fellow brothers and sisters in the church across the board are feeling, a perplexity, a puzzlement, a confusion, an anxious uncertainty. I once had a friend growing up who used to say all the time, for whatever reason, that he was baffled, befuddled, and discombobulated. Right? As a young man, we were more impressed with his choice of words and his wordplay and less convinced with the way he was using those words. But today, in this day, I feel that. I feel this perplexity, this, this discombobulation, right? Question is, do you feel it? Do you feel perplexed in these days and do you feel at a loss? And I wonder how, if you don't, how could you not? How could you not in these days feel a sense of perplexity? Just a cursory glance of these strong, these strange days that we are living in, these, these uncertain times that the church of the Lord Jesus Christ are walking through. If we just gave a little bit of a survey of where we've been, just simply in 2020 alone, we have many reasons to turn around and to feel this level of perplexity. Let me run you through it. Briefly, we started this year witnessing a very rare event in U.S. history, one that the country has not seen since 1988, and that is the impeachment proceedings of a sitting president. In January, also, the sports community was shaken by the death of Kobe and Gianna Bryant alongside of seven other people. In February, the country witnessed further evidence of the lack of decorum between our broken and dysfunctional political system when at the State of the Union, the real one that happens in this country, the president refused to shake the Speaker of the House's hands, and she in turn tore up her copy of his presidential speech. Marcherized with events that we will tell our grandkids about. Everything, literally everything shut down because of this worldwide pandemic called COVID-19 that has us in the sanctuary wearing masks and you all watching online. People were dying alone in quarantine. Marriages buckled under the stress test when the boundary between work and life were collapse. Proms and graduations were canceled. Stay-at-home orders created eerie empty spaces. Do you remember seeing pictures of stadiums with no people in it? Stores with no people in it? Offices with no people in it? We will tell our grandkids about these days. The body of Christ came to learn a fresh how good it is to dwell amongst one another when we were forced to no longer be able to gather as a local assembly. One person said it like this, that video conferencing became the backbone of our lives. 
fights and protests erupted over stay-at-home orders. In the middle of March, Breonna Taylor was shot and killed after a botched no-knock warrant that went incredibly wrong. In May, we found out that way back in February, an unarmed black man, Ahmad Arbery, was shot and killed while jogging, stirring up even further racial tensions. We had no idea that later on in the month of March, later on, just a few short weeks later, eight minutes and 46 seconds would change the world as our city, the city that we're in at this very moment, here in Minneapolis, was reeled from the murder of George Floyd. Eight minutes and 46 seconds turned into an untold amount of minutes and hours and days of worldwide protests, both peaceful and unfortunately violent. Buildings burned and businesses were destroyed. Statues fell. Conversations erupted over the use of the term Black Lives Matter as whether is can you use it as an anthropological statement or as a supporting rallying cry for an organization. Cries for social justice had a multi-ethnic ring to it in ways that we have never seen before. A new civil rights era emerged powerfully at this time. And unlike 1968, my parents' era, it is not led by the church. Calls to either abolish or defund the police find themselves in people's windows as you drive by in our neighborhoods. This is just recent. The church finds herself in serious need of a conversation around race and ethnicity, lament and repair, reparations and forgiveness, white superiority and anti-Asian racism, the legitimacy or lack thereof of terms like white flight, white guilt, critical race theory, Marxism and cancel culture. Battle lines have been drawn because it's difficult to know who should I believe, right? How should I socially engage? How should I respond? How should I deal with the lack of response? Who should I listen to? And on top of that, churches now are still figuring out a way how to gather together in the midst of people who want to wear masks and who don't want to wear masks, Time would fail me to mention Rayshard Brooks, the Supreme Court decisions recently, the Mississippi flag, and taking a knee during the anthem. And on top of this, you all, we still have an election and to deal with the aftermath of that election. Do you feel perplexed? Do you feel at a loss? Do you feel yourself coming up short of what are we to do in all of this? What am I supposed to say? How am I supposed to react in these ways? As Christians, as the body of Christ, you feel 
Once again, the question of what are we to do in all of this? How then shall we live in light of just the eight months or so that we have now walked through here in the year 2020? So I guess the question that I'm asking is, what do you do when you don't know what to do? You've lived long enough to encounter a scenario where you come up on something and you don't know what to do. What do you do in that scenario? Well, I think here in 2 Corinthians, we have our attention drawn to the Apostle Paul to help us wrestle with what to do when we don't know what to do. Paul uses a particular word that captures this feeling of perplexity. It's perplexed, right? So we just looked at 2 Corinthians, and I was telling Pastor Jung that I wanted a phrase in this text to kind of be the, the banner that flies over tonight's message and tomorrow's message, as it were. Now, if you know anything about Paul and his relationship with the Corinthians churches, uh, you know that they had some ups and downs. As they say, their relationship was complicated. And I would guess that Paul spent many a night perplexed over the various troubles that arose from the church in Corinth. From the book of Acts and from the two letters that we have in the Bible, 1 and 2 Corinthians, we actually come to find out that Paul's relationship with the Corinthians involved four letters and three visits. And one of these letters was so painful that it was called the severe letter. And one of these visits was so painful that it was called the painful visit. If a doctor were to give a diagnosis of what was going on in the Corinthian church, here are some things that he would come back with. This church included division and disunity. It included quarrels and infighting and a, an illicit relationship between a son and his stepmother was going on there. Claims of superior wisdom and superior gifting over and against other people. No, no, no. I'm wiser than you are. No, no, no. My gift is better than you are. These things were happening in this particular church. To add on to it, there was an onslaught of false teachers and doubt, as it were, concerning Paul's leadership rose in light of his abundant suffering, in light of his unimpressive appearance, in light of his, the lack of his oratorical speaking skills. In other words, Paul, the Corinthians were telling him, you suffer too much to actually be a real apostle. You don't have the great statute that a, a apostle should have. You're unsophisticated. You're weak in appearance. And you are, if I have to tell you, Paul, you're a little bit bland with your speaking style. You can work on your speaking gift a little bit, Paul. These are some of the things that he had to deal with with this church. And in 2 Corinthians, Paul responds, that, responds in such a way that highlights that his apostleship is actually a legit apostleship because he not only preaches the cross as an apostle should do, but his life and his ministry demonstrates the cross. Right? It's not just a word coming out of his mouth about the cross, but he, if you look at him and you see his life, his life is a showcase of the cross. It's a demonstration of it. You get a pictorial example looking at Paul's ministry of what the cross is. The cross meaning the death of Christ and also the resurrection of Christ. 
One person said it like this, his apostleship is authentic. This is what he was responding back to the Corinthian church. No, Corinthians, my, my apostleship is authentic because it embodies the death and the resurrection of Christ. And because his ministry, his life, embodied the death and the resurrection of Christ, he was enabled to deal with hardships like perplexity. He was able to deal with life when you find yourself in a scenario when you don't know what to do. It helped him to know what to do when he didn't know what to do. This embodiment of the death and the resurrection of Christ. Now, I started off this, app this, this evening reading to you starting in chapter 4, verse number 1. I'm really going to hone in on chapter 7, but for context is why I read uh, what we did earlier. But if you travel through 2 Corinthians, in chapter number 3, verses 7 through 11, Paul speaks about the glorious ministry in which he was privileged to participate in. It blew Paul's mind that he was called to the ministry that he was called to because of who he was in his past. If you remember Paul's story on the road to Damascus, Christ had all the rights in the world to shut it down on Paul because he was, he was persecuting the church. But in mercy, Paul tells us, Christ set him apart for this ministry and he never lost the awe of it. If you, in whatever ministry capacity, brothers and sisters, God has called you to do, never lose the awe of it. It's a mercy that you have this ministry. It's a mercy to be able to be called alongside of Christ to bless the body and edifying him and bless the world with his gospel. Paul never lost, he never lost uh, juice when it come down to his, his awe and amazement of what he was called to. So chapter 3, verses 7 through 11, it speaks about this glorious ministry to which he is called to. And then as we move to the end of chapter 3 and moving into chapter 4, what we see is the, this wonderful passage of the light of the glory of God that is shown in Paul's heart and that shines in every other believer's heart. Right? We, we see this connection of the God who in the beginning created all things. When you became a Christian, what happened to you? Well, the same thing that happened in Genesis 1 happened in your heart. Light came on and you saw the glory of the beauty of Jesus Christ. The glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That's what happened when you were born again. And here now, starting in chapter 4, verse number 7, Paul explains that he experienced all of this in the context of suffering and in the context of weakness. He calls himself a treasure, or he calls this having a treasure in jars of clay. So chapter 4, verse number 7, we see a general principle here. It says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. This is a wonderful passage to meditate on and chew on. What is Paul saying here? We have this treasure. What is this treasure? A couple verses up. It's the glory. It's the gospel of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We have this treasure inside of us, but this treasure is in earthen vessels. These earthen vessels represents the frailty of our life. And you might want to ask, well, why would God put such a valuable commodity in something that is so unvaluable like an earthen vessel? These vessels in ancient times were vessels that you could easily discard. 
If they broke, you could just toss it in the trash. It wasn't a gold vessel. It wasn't a silver vessel. It wasn't something that you would pass on as an heirloom. It was it was a piece of Tupperware in your cabinet. If you just crack, ah, I'm going to throw it in the trash. I don't need this. Why would God put this beautiful treasure of the gospel in earthen vessels like our human frailty? Well, it tells us here in verse number seven why he does that. He says, to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. In other words, we aren't to get it twisted. We are to recognize that this treasure, this glorious gospel, is not all about us. And we don't, and people shouldn't get caught up in the vessel. People should get caught up in this treasure of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But the key that we want to see is that verse number seven sets up now the next couple of verses. Read it again. We have this treasure of the glorious gospel in jars of clay, in our human frailty, in our lives, in order to show that it's not about us, but it's about the surpassing power that belongs to, belongs to God and not to us. And then verse number eight and nine, this verse number seven sets up a list of hardships that follows. And I want you to notice the hardships and I want you to notice Paul's response. First of all, notice the hardships here. Verse number eight, we are afflicted. We are perplexed. We are persecuted. We are struck down. Uh, what I appreciate about Apostle Paul is that Paul is not, uh, we say this in Jersey, this is an old school term, faking the funk. What do I mean by faking the funk? It, Paul is not, He's not acting like life isn't difficult. He's not acting like everything is all good all the time. <laughs> we know things are not all good all the time. He's not acting like God promised him a life of ease and a golden path. No, he says, listen, there was a moment in time when we experienced affliction. There was a moment in time when we were perplexed. That's where I'm pulling this word from for tonight. Perplexed. Right? Paul knows what we feel like if you feel at a loss right now in this day and age. He says, this is, this is real talk. Right? Yes, we've been persecuted. And we've even been struck down. Paul gives us a great example of what the psalmists do. The psalmists give vent to their emotions and vent to what's really going on with the Lord vent to what's really going on in their lives. They don't hold everything back. The book of Psalms gives us wonderful examples of saying we can go to the Lord and tell him how it is and tell him what's going on in our soul and tell him that we're hurt and tell him that we are feeling distressed, that we're feeling perplexed, that we're feeling at a loss. The scripture gives us this freedom to do so, but the scriptures don't give us the freedom to stay there, right? So Paul turns around and he says to his people, these things that have happened to him, but notice his response. It says again, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven into despair. We are persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Uh, the most important part of these verses is not the front end, but the second part, right? For our purposes, perplexed, but not driven to despair. We may feel at a loss, but Paul learned some secret to be able to say, yes, I feel perplexed. I feel at a loss during this time, but I am not driven to utter despair. 
This sense of perplexity is not going to destroy me, Paul is saying here. How did he, how did he get to this point? One person said it like this, if such a brittle vessel, this jar of clay, can survive intact the knocks and the bangs that his ministry provokes, affliction, perplexity, persecution, being struck down, if he can survive that, then the credit does not belong to the durability of the pot, right? <laughs> if the pot can survive these blows, all glory doesn't go to the pot. All glory goes to the God who sustains the pot. The credit does not belong to the durability of the pot, but to the sustaining power of God. This, Paul would say, is the only explanation of why he has not been destroyed by all of his afflictions. The only explanation why we stand here in our right mind, even in this felt sense of perplexity, is because we have a God who strengthens and sustains us. He strengthens and sustains us. And the reason why this looks so much like the cross, because this is what happened in the life of Jesus, right? Jesus exhibited a weakness at the cross, and yet the resurrection showed him a power that was at bay. Jesus might have felt perplexed, but he was not struck down. He might have felt like he was crushed, but he was not driven to despair. Forsaken, but not destroyed. Despite all of the difficulties that Paul experienced, particularly being having a sense of perplexity and not feeling as one who was driven to despair. The only way he was able to, to get through that perplexity is to know that even in the weakness of perplexity, the power of God shines clearly through. It's in this book in multiple places where he says in chapter one, he talks about that we were at the point of death in a particular affliction. And that was only to show us that we cannot rely on ourselves, but we rely on the power of God who sustains us. And later on at the end of second Corinthians in chapter 12, he turns around asking after asking Jesus to deliver him from this thorn in the flesh three times. He turns around and says, you know what? No, the power of Christ is made abundantly clear through my weakness. So we can sit here today, brothers and sisters, in this feeling of perplexity and know that we will not be driven to despair because one holds us. We can say, yes, we're at a loss. We don't know what to do in these times. And yet we know that the Lord works powerfully through that felt weakness, as it were. Paul's point time and time again in this text is that while he often felt perplexed because of God's power at work in his life. He did not succumb to despair. I told Pastor Jung that I was going to also try to squeeze in Psalm 29, and I'm not going to be able to do that. I, I had dreams of grandeur of saying, okay, I might be able to get these texts together. But let me, let me, let me zoom in on, on the closing here on this text and maybe pick up Psalm 29 tomorrow. Let me say that again. What's Paul's point here? How did he move from um, being perplexed but not being driven to despair? Later on in, in chapter 4, we read it in verse number 13. He says, since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believe and so I speak. We also believe and so also we speak. It was faith. It was faith in the keeping, the power keeping of God that helped him move 
through despair to the place of uh, through um, perplexity to the place of saying, no, we will not be lost in despair. Once again, Paul's point is that while he was often perplexed because of God's power at work in his life, he did not succumb to despair. And that's our answer. What do we do when we don't know what to do? We say, hey, we're at a loss. We need some help. We got to listen. We got to have some conversations. We got to find out what to do. But what we will not do, we will not be given into despair because by faith we trust in the one who works through the weakness of even perplexity. This is what the church has to offer to the world that the world can never, ever, ever bring to the table. The world is pretty good at pointing out problems, but horrible with, with bringing about solutions that don't create further problems. The church can bring something to the table and say, hey, yes, we jump into this pool of perplexity with you, but we have a God who is strong and who works through weakness, and we will never be a people who end up despairing as ones who have no hope. I love the song that we sung today uh, in multiple songs that spoke about the, the speak that sung about the hope that we have. And this hope is not found in us. We're earthen vessels. This hope is found in the one who works through weakness and through open vessels. Paul's experience might often seem outwardly unremarkable. But because he sees the death and resurrection of Jesus as the key to his life, death, perplexity, resurrection, but we will not be as those who despair. Death, at a loss, we don't know, we may not know how to handle these things right now, but resurrection, the Lord works through weakness and through earthen vessels. As to everything else, he can find there a pattern which makes Christian sense of his experience. So the banner that flies over our lives, not only over this sermon tonight and tomorrow, but also over our lives, when it has uncertainty on every side in your life, is that though we might be perplexed, we are not driven to despair. And the answer to somebody were to ask you, where is your hope? Why do you believe such things? The power of God keeps us. The power of God keeps us. It keeps us. So what we need, brothers and sisters, as we have conversations about race, have conversations about policing, seek after justice, to have hard conversations about different opinions. Yes, we have to do these things. But we do them in the context or in the frame of knowing that our powerful God keeps us. So what we need fundamentally, what my soul needs fundamentally at all times is to have eyes that see the power of our beautiful God. And to that end, I think we're going to be praying here in a little bit. Let me point you to a beautiful prayer in Ephesians chapter 1. In Ephesians chapter 1, Paul for the first 17 verses or so, somewhere in that ballpark, unpack the reasons why we ought to give God glory for what he's done for us in Christ. And then at the end, it's almost like he says, these things are so wonderful, I need you to pray that the Lord will give you eyes to see these things. And within that prayer in Ephesians chapter 1, he prays, he says to pray like this. He says, ask the Father to give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him for multiple reasons. 
One of those reasons is that you may know the power that's available for you. And if you want to know how powerful God is, this is where I was going to go in Psalm 29. If you wanted to know how powerful God is, Psalm 29 is a good place to go. But the place to see the power of God at his height is when he raised Jesus Christ from the dead. That's power, amen? That's power right there. That's a powerful display to take Christ, raise him from the dead, and to cause him to ascend at his right hand. And this is the power that's at work in us, for us. So when we do come to a place of despair, we can say by faith, no, we are not driven to despair. Our God works through weakness. So can we pray and ask that the Lord would help us to see these things in glory in them? Well, Father, I pray that the direction that this sermon went into was of your will. It's every pastor's desire that his brothers and sisters, fellow Christians, will be fed by the word of God. While this sermon went in a different direction than what I planned, Father, I thank you that my plans are not ones that matter. I pray that your word, Father, would do work in our hearts. That we would come behind the Apostle Paul and say, yes, we are earthen vessels of clay, jars of clay. We boast in our frailty. Yes, we may feel a sense of perplexity. Yes, we may feel that sense of loss at this time. But no, we are not driven to despair. Why? Because you, our powerful God, works in us and works through weakness. So I pray that prayer in Ephesians and I ask that you would open up our eyes, give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you that we may know your glorious power. This power that is available to be with us. Not that we'll feel it every day, Father, but knowing by faith you are with us and you will see us through seasons of perplexity. So help us walk by faith, Father, and help us walk knowing that all things are in your hand. And you are working all things together for the glory, the joy of your people and for the glory of your name. And would we as the body of Christ be as ones who walk through perplexity knowing, knowing. Let us be a light in the midst of darkness. Hey, those people over there look like they know something. And when we have a reason to explain this hope, let us, Father, have bold to say, yes, we know our powerful God. So be with us, Father, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Pastor Lewis, uh, for that word. Really uh, feel like God's been speaking to us through his word. And uh, we want to be able to process it, so we'll do it in a few ways. We'll uh, sing the song together, and then um, we'll pray a little bit together. And then we'll have some opportunity to share with one another. Okay, so let's stand together, and we'll sing the song. So let's just pray together for, um, in response to the sermon. And, um, uh, yeah, I don't know uh, how God spoke to you through um, the sermon, but uh, just, you know, I feel like it was really uh, appropriate word for, for us, different things that we're going through in our lives and also for our church. Definitely, I think, uh, um, 
very uh, meaningful word for us. I think a lot of times, you know, I was kind of thinking, a lot of times the reason why um, we argue about the different positions that we take and perspective that we have, uh, you know, I guess pertaining to social issues, different things going on today, um, is because we feel like we're right, you know, we feel like our perspective is right. And um, I guess in the context of this passage, that amounts to jars of clay arguing about which jar is grayer, uh, less dull, which jars of clay are more valuable while all along um, we're meant to hold the treasure and to shine the treasure. And, um, and, and so we need to, I think, direct our eyes away from ourselves, the troubles that we're going through, different perplexed situations and uh, situations that make us feel like we're beaten down from all angles and all sides. And um, and as many of us are going through things like that, let's be thankful that God is giving us those moments and opportunities so that through our sufferings and through our moments of perplexity, His power can shine and the glory of Jesus Christ can be manifest through us. And that, that applies to every single one of us and what we're going through. And that also applies to the church of Jesus Christ as we're wrestling during this time is because he wants to show his awesome power that will allow the the church of Jesus Christ to somehow move on even though we don't know how it's going to happen and that also applies to our church Uh, we don't know what our church is going to look like next month or after the pandemic and uh, all these things we're trying to figure out but somehow God says through the confusion um The gates of Hades will not prevail. The church of Jesus Christ will. And uh, that's where the the glory of uh, the, the glory will go. So let's just take a moment and let's pray together. Let's pray for what we're going through in our own hearts. Let's pray for our church. Let's pray for the church of Jesus Christ. Let's pray that we would really shine the treasure that is within us. Can we do that? Just pray that for a moment. We'll sing one more song. Let's sing Sovereign Over Us. And uh, let's really trust that God is at work using all things to reveal the glory of Christ in all circumstances. Let's sing about that through this song. Father, again, what a, what a joy to be able to fellowship with some people that I get a chance to meet for the first time today, some friends that I've known over few years here, but to know that together one day, because of your mercy shown us in Christ, we will spend an eternity together, giving you glory and honor over this beautiful gospel that proclaims that your son is Lord. So I pray as we go this our separate ways together tonight, if we gather together here in small groups, I pray that you once again would Give us taste buds, Father, to taste and to see of your goodness. 
where the word convicts us, Father. Help us to run to Christ, knowing that he is our advocate. And in him, we have a righteousness that we couldn't attain on our own. And I pray, Father, that as we rest tonight, I pray that it would call to our mind that we are resting in the safest place in the universe, which is in your son. So be exalted, Father, in our weakness. Be magnified in your power shown even through perplexity. And magnify yourself through us, I pray. It's in your son's name. Amen.